recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with Coach Renee Dreyfus and Matt Peters. Ring the bell and let's get it on. Welcome back to another episode of Martial Culture Podcast. You heard the guy. I'm Matt Peters and that's Coach Renee. Hello, everybody. What's going on? Had some fights over the last week. Uh, they had a UFC event on Sunday, so we weren't able to talk about it. And right. And they had one yesterday. So there's yes. lots of things to catch up on. Yes. Um, Thanks for listening. I can do that. Uh, we just love our opening music. <laughs> you can play it again if you like. Thanks to Josh for making it. I think that's your name. Uh, so, yes, UFC uh, fights over the last week and yesterday. Interesting results? Yes, yes. Okay, so first, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the the main card was Donald Cerrone and Yancey Medeiros. And, you know, Cerrone is a stalwart of MMA. I know when I was, this is, yeah, got to be 15 years ago he was competing. I remember he was back in the, um, oh, you know, I forgot what that old MMA organization was called. It was just wet lightweights. And UFC bought it up and took them all, and your high favor was from there. It was... Um, Shoot, I forgot the name, but but that's where light, the the UFC got all their lightweights from, and he was fighting in that organization. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Strike Force; it was um, I'll look it up. But it's like, it was uh, it was in, and I remember he was fighting in that organization, or, and uh, he was uh, he was the same guy, the same. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. He's been around. He's a veteran. Mm-hmm. He is amazing, but it's kind of coming to an end for him. Uh, How old is he? I don't know, but you know he's taking a lot of damage. He's been around for an age and a half. He's not as fast as he used to be, and I don't know if you know, but he's kind of like a daredevil, and he is the most—I would say the most irresponsible. But he, you know, before his fights, he he used to go like you know jet skiing or like you know do all of these things that would not be conducive to being your best in the ring. Mm-hmm. And um, but that's him. He's him. Fighting was just part of it, you know, and I really respect that because fighting was part of his lifestyle. I don't. He didn't fight because he wanted to be famous or anything like that. He fought because he likes to fight, and uh, he loves to scrap, and he loves martial arts, and he loves testing himself. My my friend Chris Romulo, I uh, actually fought him in the ring once, and uh, said you know he was he was great, and uh, and that was you know in the nineties, and he he's a dedicated martial artist. He's you know I, like every every fighter, he's a little bit crazy, he's a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. But uh, you have to respect that. He's not there for the the fame or this or that. He's there for the scrap. Mm-hmm. And that is something I, I totally respect. But there has to be time when you're going to hang out the gloves. And he won this one. He dominated Yancey Medeiros. He, he crushed him. But I, I just don't think, you know, I think the UFC sometimes when the guys are getting a little bit, um, you know, they, they've had a little bit of a rough run. Uh, they throw him some a little bit easier and to get back on track, mm-hmm. like a, like a tune-up fight kind of thing. And it seemed to me like Yancey was one of those? Yeah, a little bit. Yancey's just not in his class. And uh, and he Yancey got crushed, like well, just crushed. So. Cerrone, just for reference, is uh, 34 years old, which 34. just happens to be the same age as... I'm 34, right? Or am I 33? I don't remember. I'm early 30s. 34. Wow. engineer just told us. I wish I were 34. Um, so <laughs> That was many, many, many years ago. Well, you look like you're 25. Well, thank you, Matt. Um, thank you so much. That and is... I look... How do I look? It's not important. Yeah, I'm fishing for compliments. It's fine. Um, I'm such. I'm so short compared to you that I'm just looking up. You're like a giant, you know. <laughs> so he, he's realistically he he is pretty early. I mean, there's fighters that fight into their 40s. Which well, there's they chronological maybe. age, and then there's yeah, true fight age. Fight age. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been fighting for since the 90s. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about 
Wow. You know, 20 plus years of fighting. That's a lot of hits. Yeah. Unless you're really good. He's good. You know, <laughs> and I, I'll tell you one reason I really respect him. He's, he's one of those guys who come from the striking background that really embrace. We were talking about this with the Shevchenko, a um, couple of other fighters, that they really embraced MMA. They yeah. weren't stuck in there. Okay, I'm a Thai boxer. I'm going to go in there and just be do Thai boxing or whatever. There, or I'm a you know jiu-jitsu guy. I'm just going to jiu-jitsu or whatever. They they embraced MMA. There's no element of the fight where Cerrone is you know out, uh, uh, knows nothing where he's not unprepared. Here, there's every element of the fight. Cerrone has some level of preparation and skill, and he he takes time to do that. And I I think that's really important, which. Um, you know, you don't always see, and, and let, let's talk about um, let's talk about a fight that happened last night. Uh, Sarah McMahon, uh, who is a Olympic medalist, tremendous, tremendous wrestler. She got her Olympic medal in uh, shooting, though, rifle shooting. Odd fun fact. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, <laughs> just derailing the conversation. I was like, what? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, you know, it's actually interesting because it's like the they was watching the Olympics. There's this woman who. Is the first one in Winter Olympics to get gold medals in two completely different sports. Wow, the Deion was, Sanders of the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous that achievement. That is quite to an achievement. Like yeah. so we were talking about athleticism on yeah, our last podcast, right. which you should listen to if you haven't. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Sarah McMahon, the Olympic yeah. athlete. And, and she's, you know, an amazing wrestler, but has had trouble embracing the MMA paradigm, particularly when it comes to MMA defense, where hmm. a tremendous number of fighters neglect uh their their defense and um so she the first round she took the girl down and she did exactly daniel cormier playbook top crucifix side control trapped the arm between her legs started hitting her and the her her opponent renault marion renault hold on let me look up her exact name yes Mar- Mar- uh marion renault she uh had a lot of trouble escaping the crucifix and was really basically saved by the bell then the next, the second round fight, second fights, and um, becomes a scramble, kind of punch back and forth, blah, 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 blah. And Sarah McMahon gets caught in a triangle choke. Mm-hmm. And her hand is actually in. The triangle was not finished, and she was almost out. But you could tell that she had not def- trained defense enough. And um, the triangle choke got tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. And tighter until you know she's trying to get out, go this way, this way, but she was just kind of not doing it right, and she was eating elbows the whole time. Which a lot of times, if you train just jujitsu, okay, there's one way to escape, but then that's MMA, and we have to embrace the MMA paradigm. You're not just escaping the triangle choke; you're escaping the triangle choke and the elbows that are coming with it. <laughs> and uh, actually, it's one of my favorite things to do when I'm doing the the triangle our triangle series in our it's academy is to, do. is to you're throw sadistic. elbows. You're sadistic. It's about efficiency, Matt. The most efficiency to break down another human being. Yeah, it's good. If you enjoy it, that's a separate <laughs> that's, matter. There you go. <laughs> it's tactics versus getting satisfaction. Out yes, of it. you know. If mm. you if, if you, you do s- it on your free time with like cats in the neighborhood, then you, you got a problem. <laughs> that is terrible. But that if you do terrible. it in the, in the confines of a, a gym, I'm a cat person, so you cannot be abusive to cats. I won't. I have two cats. I love animals, actually. Yeah. I love all animals. But um, no. Okay, so. <laughs> Derailed again. Sorry. That's okay. That that's that's what makes our us interesting. Is that you know I'm talking about something you make it funny. We're a good combination. He said I make it funny. You do make Thank it funny. You. I like try to be funny, but my humor is terrible. So well, I like the puns. You and do. We need more you, of those. you are the minority. 
So anyway, you're the Punisher, right? I'm the Punisher. Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think of that (laughs) (laughs) because I punish you with my puns. (laughs) Another levels. We got levels here. Number one podcast on iTunes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, so, but she, she, she was not prepared for that position Mm. and got locked. Now, of course, who knows? uh, I I believe a black belt in jujitsu, so it's not like she. Uh, doesn't know what she was doing. But the, 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 the issue was Sarah was almost out. She had one hand in, defending already. So triangle choke, you, you have one hand, of course, one arm trapped. But the other hand was on her, lower than her chin, kind of her cheek. So there was there was a defense that was possible there. Um, and this is, the, this, it brings me back to Sage Northcutt. Um, he fought last week. He mm-hmm. fought on the same card as Cerrone. And Sage North Sage Northcutt has not had a a great run. And he was this, you know, I mean, you look at him and he's he looks like physically amazing, but it, it, it also comes back to what we talked about last week. So muscles for aesthetics and muscles for fighting are very, very different, you know? And uh um a lot of fighters don't look, you know, as chiseled as Sage Northcutt. Uh but he has trouble putting together. They gave him an opponent, Thibaut Guti, who is not Again, and not um, the uh, as seasoned as as some of the other people, right? I think they're giving him a little bit of a, you know, like a get get your oh. get your get your win back fight. But and he Sage won, but just scraped by a win. I mean, it was I was he's, he he came out strong in the first round, and um, <clears throat> definitely had some things. But he was eating jabs. His his fundamentals are very poor. Uh, in terms of striking, and I think it comes from like a little bit of his background in point karate. He's holding his hands too, too wide and and misjudging the distance. And he's transferred his camp over to Uriah Faber's camp, and he he hopefully they've improved. And it seemed like they improved a little bit. Hopefully that'll continue. But it it comes into you know you have to be prepared to train your weaknesses in the academy. You have to be prepared to. Um, to to work the defense like Sarah McMahon, you have to be prepared for the MMA paradigm. You 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 have to be in a in a in a, in a dojo culture, academy or, or gym culture that is a place where you can you feel that you can uh, experiment with things you're bad at. And Sarah couldn't do that. It seems like uh, a sage. I'll get to different because I think it's a little different thing. But Sarah couldn't. You just she doesn't do that, and I don't know if she can or can't. Mm-hmm. Sage, I don't know if he can or can't. But they they have gaping holes that they're not filling, uh, and and I think it could be this. It could be this. Sarah and Sage both are great athletes. They're phenomenal athletes, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so what happens to a good athlete, especially in their small pool in a small academy, and the, the coach is not watching them enough, is they tend to be. I don't mean bullies. Let me say the word. Uh, let me think about what I want to say exactly. But they're not bullies in the sense of what we think of a of a bully in you know elementary school. But they were the kind of mad bullies that they they use their physicality to win matches. They use their athleticism to avoid bad spots. Or instead of being technically sound, they'll use their speed, their strength, the, the, the explosiveness mm-hmm. to. To, to win. And obviously, you know, you want to marshal everything, every advantage you have in a fight. But in the academy, you need to turn off your attributes and also be okay with losing. Brock Lesnar had this problem, I heard, really bad that he he basically sat, surrounded himself with a lot of 
you know, I don't know exactly, but psychophantic kind of personalities, and they didn't they didn't push him as much as he could, and he didn't like getting put in bad spots, so he didn't train them, and then the minute he was in a bad spot, he started losing, you know, and and that was the end of his career. And people say, oh, it's because of his diverticulitis. I'm like, yeah, come on. You know, we watched the fights where he just got harassed, <laughs> you know. And, and Ronda Rousey, too, you know. And Ronda Rousey's not an arrogant person in, in, in terms of her training. I don't think you could go to through years and years of judo and not have that beaten out of you. Obviously, she has a persona. But in the gym, I'm sure she's there all to learn. But the gym culture was set up in a way that she was not working on what she needed to work on. Obviously, in that case, it was because she had a terrible boxing coach. But... um. You know, Sage, Sarah, remind me of these fighters that are so physical that they don't embrace the aspects of the grind that you hate, that everybody hates. It means, okay, I hate being mounted because it just sucks, but I'm going to next three hours, all we're going to do is be mounted and I'm going to technically get out, which means I'm going to eat a lot of punishment. I'm going to be sore tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And versus, okay, if I just avoid mount, and I can do that because I'm the better, best athlete out of this group, or I, I'm a great, a great thrower like Sarah McManus. So I'll never be on the bottom. You know, she's she's very poor when she's on the bottom. Yeah, but what happens when you get there? Exactly, exactly, Matt. What happens when you get there? And you know, from a martial art, not a martial fighting standpoint, but from a martial art standpoint, almost all assaults you don't start out. Okay, Matt, I'm gonna <laughs> shake your hand. Yeah. Let's fight now. No, you start out two steps down. You start a, a guy sucker punches you or takes a baseball bat back of your head or stabs you three or four times. Unfortunately, that happened to someone I know. Stab came, and then the fight starts. What do you have when the chips are down? That's mm -hmm. what it really means to be prepared as a fighter. And of course, in MMA, it's the same. And if you're using your physicality to avoid the positions that you're bad at, you're not going to learn. Eventually, you will get caught there, and your, your opponents will key into because they're researching you they'll understand mm -hmm. what your flaws are and that brings me to another fight which was Curtis Millinder versus Tiago Alves and I don't know how long you've been following MMA but Tiago Alves has been around forever I've heard the name yeah now watching him fight I don't know like I thought he retired but watching him fight it was like you know transporting me back 20 years you know I'm like oh Tiago Alves he's still fighting and and it was like hey somebody called a, you know 1990 called they want their <laughs> martial arts back and his you know he fought this guy Curtis Millinder I don't know much about him but he seemed pretty good but he was the new generation he fights like the guys today mm -hmm. Tiago Alves fought like he fought 15 years ago and it wasn't even close the, the generation has moved on. The same with Hennon Barrow fought recently. It was the same thing. You know, if you fight like it was 10 years ago, you're not going to keep up with the evolution of the sport. And we talked mm -hmm. about this. The sport is evolving at a very, very fast pace. And if you're not keeping up with that evolution, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, again, it comes back to academy culture. You know, is your instructor importing the, the, the best practices? Um, we had Professor Ken on the other, other other day and one of the reasons I brought him in is because he he is an, I, I can't sing his praises enough he is an unbelievable tactician in mm -hmm. striking and I said I need to get a guy like this helping my team because it's going to make them better and you know anytime you can evolve and move forward and, and I tell my students also not that I'm the best coach around I'm not I mean I'm pretty good but you know I think I'm pretty good I wouldn't be teaching if I didn't but there are a lot of other great coaches but what I always try to do is have an open mind and say okay guys you know, this technique we did last year, mm, we're not going to do it that way anymore. There's a better way. 
We're going to do it this way now. Mm-hmm. Okay, this evolved. This is the way we're doing it now. And sometimes my students can get a little frustrated with that because they're like, man, we did this, this, but it's this is the cutting edge yeah. version. And you have to have an academy that culture that grows that way and also is is fine with dispensing what is archaic. First of all, you have to have a teacher who's put, and you personally have to go into that, those danger zones, like Sarah McMahon is not. I, I respect her. I think she's amazing as a wrestler and, and a representative of the country in the Olympics, but she is not preparing for those deep waters. And the academy culture has to help her do that. And also evolving, uh, which you don't see some fighters do, um, or maybe they're, they're, they just, they're hard to teach. Who knows? You, know, they, you have to have your own internal culture, too, to accept those evolutions. Like if you're not mm-hmm. coachable, you're not listening, you're not evolving, you know, you're going to be left behind, too. Um, it's, it's, it, it, they, they have to work together. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like it, what you're saying obviously makes sense. But in the fighter perspective, like if I'm going into a fight, I want to know my weaknesses and I want to fill those gaps. Like I don't want to have any weaknesses walking into that octagon. Do people just are they surrounded by people that are just super supportive and they won't tell them? I think or? it's I think it's the opposite though. Although that can be it. I mean that's absolutely Matt, you are absolutely right. That does happen. You have psychophantic personalities and yeah. you know, hang arounds like Mike Tyson had or whatever. You know, and then you kind of like, you know, say, Oh, you don't have to train, you're the man and blah 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 and you you, you die. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's different though. Is if your academy culture is too competitive and you're not really good friends with your training partners, you don't want to put yourself out there because you're like, I don't trust these guys. Or I don't or I want to look like the man and maintain my 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 top of for the food chain guy. You know, like I'm the top of the food chain in the academy and I don't want to record, you know, I don't want to not have that change. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to ex- put myself out there and experiment with either new techniques or the techniques that I'm terrible at. So you know, first of all, that's a little bit of an ego. But second, like if you have an, an academy culture of guys who are always, you know, biting at your heels and, and not, and they're kind of competing against you mm-hmm. and they're not, um, you know, they're not really your friends or this is supporting your training partners, then it's hard to say, hey, could we start in a full locked in triangle? Because you're like, this guy might actually break my arm, you know, or might, you know, hurt yeah. me. Oh so so that's you un- have to think about that too. Um, and, and then ego, you know, there people want their position as the alpha and they don't want to give it up. And so, they avoid what they're bad at, and um, and you can't wow. do that. That's really surprising. Like, I would I would assume that culture would exist in um, a lot of sports, a lot of athletic competitions. But if within a martial martial arts area, you just have a different mentality of what they would be like. A group of people that practice martial arts, they're respectful and they're <laughs> they're they're kind. And they, I'm laughing they, here. I'm yeah. laughing. Here. I mean, I've never been into a. You <laughs> no, know. no, no. You know, you know that's that's the ideal. Yeah. And you know that's in my academy. That's what I strive for. Yeah. You know, people think of me a lot as old school because I, I don't like people cursing in my academy and and uh, we bow and you know we could talk about those traditions too. We were just discussing that mm-hmm. before, where those traditions come from, and and to me that's important tradition. Um, so people think of me old school and, and old school is kind of associated with those ideas of humility and thing. but then, you know, boxing and wrestling are martial arts too. They are martial arts and it's very rare. You go into like a, like a hard nosed boxing gym and you feel that same vibe in actuality. You're like, feel threatened. And, and if you're in a different way, if you're on a wrestling team and we, we were discussing this before and you're in a room and that's a hard room. Wrestling rooms are hard rooms. You have to fight for your spot. If you're the 135-pound guy, there's another 135-pound guy who wants to take your spot. Right. So, Because there's only one starter, 
mm-hmm. and there's maybe three or four 135 pound guys. You have to you have to earn your spot to compete for the 1% team. One percent of one percent. Right, right, and that's it. not necessarily a bad thing. But what it does is it leads you into not cooperating so well, not playing well with others. You know, mm-hmm. I would say my academy is like the rules of kindergarten or nursery school. You know, play well with others. <laughs> Share your toys. And, and you know, I have, a, I have a wonderful student, and you know, I even disciplined him a little bit yesterday because that he was drilling and he was kind of like putting the submissions on a little too hard. Not intentionally. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. But, um, but you know, it's like you don't realize what you're doing. And I had to say, dude, 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 chill out. And, um, and you know, y- if you're training, I said this, if you're training with someone, and let's say drilling, you know what drilling is. We just practice techniques cooperative, mm-hmm. really, right? You have to drill before you fight. But you have to say that I'm lending you my body you know, for you to do something in practice, you have to give me back my body in the same condition you found it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you have to give it back to me in the same That's what state. I said in high school. Right. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, it's, it's like those, those kind of those rules. And the same thing inspiring. Well, you know, you want to have the dojo culture make a hard room. You want a hard room. But at the same time, you want a room where people trust each other yeah. to take chances that they're not going to rip each other's arms off. Exactly. And that that balance is sometimes quite difficult to maintain. And it is directly related to fighter, fighter um, uh, pros. Because if you don't have the right academy culture, your fighters don't grow. And sometimes really good academies can take a wrong turn too. Mm-hmm. And um, Have you ever had to mm-hmm. ask somebody not to come back? Yeah, many times. Yeah, many times, unfortunately, and I'm very strict about it, and very, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm extremely strict about um, behavior in the academy. And uh, first of all, no matter how good you are, and I had some guys who were who were winning championships under me, but they were not acquitting themselves respectfully to other students. Um, they had he had to go, and another one where he would uh, he was winning, and he didn't want to train with. Um, the lower rank people, uh, not that he was such a high rank, but he, you know, he was too good to practice with the new students. Mm-hmm. You're too good. You're too good for these people. You know, give me a break. Get get off your, you know, get off your high horse. Yeah. Get over yourself. You know, you martial arts is a community, and at the end of the day, we were talking about this before. It's it's the the give the give, it's a giving a giving uh uh. uh, uh how do I split? So, you know, martial arts is, is something. It's it's origins in, in the idea of giving. What are you giving? You're giving safety to your clansmen, your your kinship group, your family. You're giving protection to the people you care about. So at the ultimate, at the end of the day, martial arts is giving. So if you're not ready to help and give and be a good part of this academy, you're a jerk. Mm-hmm. Plus, honestly, to help other people is really good selfishness because the better they get, the more training partners you have, the better you get. Yeah. And you have to see it like that. But uh, yeah, some people, definitely. you know, they just have to get a little bit over themselves. I mean, I, that's how I kind of approach life in general and the, the, the business and work and stuff like that. Mm. The, the better people you have around you, the better things are, are for everybody. Like You are the mean, that this, the average of all the people you hang out with. And if you're surrounding yourself by negative or self-destructive or, you know, whatever, not positive people, mm-hmm. that will affect you. And the same thing is true for academy cultures. If there's one bad apple, and I'll say this, there's one guy in my academy and he came in. What's with, his name? I will not say his name. <laughs> but he, he, he came in and he's, he's a bit of a sourpuss. And, um, you know, when he was there, the energy was just off. Mm-hmm. It was just off. And, uh, you know, it had, to, had time, to, time to go. Can you fix it? 
Yes, I give everybody a chance, uh, more than one chance. And, um, you know, I tell them what the problem is and say, look, look, you know, these things have to be addressed. This is this. this nobody should be like, oh, one strike, you're out. Yeah. But, um, you know, you you tell people, hey, you know, I, I think um, I think we need to address this issue. And you sit down and have a good talk. Um, and then sometimes it gets fixed, sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes the the cat the the the, the behavior is so egregious that it's just done. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's certain types of behavior. You know, obviously we were talking about you know sexual harassment or things like that. They're unforgivable. Sure, uh, anything aspect. that's pretty much a crime. <laughs> yeah, or not even a crime, but you know, just just Borderline, creepy sleazeball. Yeah. yeah, you know, we know what that is, yeah. right? That's unforgivable. Or intentionally hurting someone, which I've seen many times. You know, like you're training and you just intentionally hurt someone. The 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 role gets really really. Really, really, you know, I've seen this not in my academy, but I've seen in other academies. There's this one guy you just you just hate. You just you just freaking hate that guy. What's his name? No, no. I'm trying to give him the yeah, name. Yeah, no, but I, you know, even even <laughs> I was in an academy, and it wasn't my home academy. It was it was academy I was training at, and I'm like, I really don't like that guy. Hmm. And this is this is when I was not. I'm I'm black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu now, but this is, I was way earlier in my career, and um, and I said I will never freaking tap to that guy. I just will not do it. I will not do it, which is stupid. Let me re- repeat that is very stupid. <laughs> if you feel like that, you shouldn't train with him. But you know, um, and in that academy, the behavior was not policed, so it was like kind of a free for all. Mm-hmm. And um, but I'm like, if that guy catches me, I'm gonna let my arm break. I'm gonna go out. Whatever. That guy will never freaking tap me. He just it will not happen, and I won't do it. And um, it was very stupid. Yeah. Uh, very stupid. You know, it, it, we were we were not the same level in skill. I was a little bit ahead of him in, in terms of skill, so it, it didn't come up. But it was still a terrible attitude, and um, and it's silly. Like like you know, who cares? You know, it was I was younger. You know, I was young and dumb, but uh, but I remember that, and, and I really disliked him. I really really disliked him. And any time I rolled with him, I would never hurt him. I would never do that. I would never do that. It's not who I am. But when I rolled with him. I definitely gave him my A game, like mm-hmm. my absolute one hundred percent. I'm going to smash you into peanut butter A game. You know, I'm going to crush you into the dirt. Like there's no mercy here. And I did not hurt him. I would never hurt someone intentionally, sure. never. But that's what I did. You know, like, <laughs> like he he wanted to run away from me. You know, at, at a certain point. Um, uh, and that was stupid too. That was stupid too. You know, that was just dumb. It was like, you should just train to learn and get better. I never, speaking of which, when I rolled with him, I never experimented with new moves, you know, because I was like, my goal right now is to kick your fucking ass, you motherfucker. You know, like, that was that was going on through my head, you know, excuse my language. But instead sorry, of- Sorry, mom. Right, exactly, mom, sorry. Um, instead of, I'm here to learn and practice yeah. techniques. And that was that was bad. But, you know, I, it was also, that guy was not a cool dude, but whatever. But then, you know, the other thing is you shouldn't train with him or you should leave the academy. And and sometimes great fighters and great academies don't mix. Like, um, you know, you, you we were talking about um, Luke Rockhold and that he, he went off to Florida to train. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean he's bad or the academy's bad or whatever. But sometimes you just need a little change. You know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Two people can see the world very differently. But academy culture and the, your individual culture has to be one where you have to... Or put yourself in situations where you learn, you learn, you learn, you learn. And you have to learn what to do, especially when the chips are down. You're caught in triangles. You're caught on the mount. You're caught in the back mount with the choke sunk in. You have to drill that over and over again. One thing I did do, you know, I just talked about when I was an idiot. 
Um, I had this one move, this uh, move, I don't want to say what it is because I don't want to give any information, but um, <laughs> but there's one move that it it was, I would get tapped out with all the time because when I first started doing grappling, that move did not exist. So I learned a lot and then this evolution happened and they changed everything. It just changed everything. It's called half, there's a position called half guard, which is a bottom position. And I would go into half guard and the guys on top would do bump, 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 and tap me out. And I'd be like, what, what just happened? And then it would happen over again. And I'd be tapped out by guys who I felt that I was better than, you know, I'm like, hmm. but they, this position, I was playing it the old way. I had not evolved. Everybody evolved mm -hmm. past me. So I had to take almost two years. It was a year and a half every single day. I put myself in the position, work the defense, work the defense. And, and I'm very happy to have my, I, he's my assistant now. He's, he's a black belt. His name's Chad. He's one of my champions. He's a great, great student. I would say, Chad, put me in that position. Put me in that position. Put me in it over and over and over. And he would tap me out. And other people too, put me in that position. And I had the wherewithal to see. Part of that was is because I absolutely trusted Chad would never in a million years hurt me. He would always be there to help me learn. So our relationship was fantastic that we we always just took care of each other. And it was a great rolling environment where we could learn. Mm -hmm. And I, I trusted him and the other people I was training with too. And still it took me a year and a half, almost two years to perfect, to re, re, rewire my game to make sure that I, I corrected that mistake and evolved. But the the culture that I had surrounded myself in, in my training group was um, – was good. And then I was I, at that time I was also training at another academy where that's where a lot of it happened so I had two places where I was training. And but the place where I experimented was different from my regular training group. I mean, we were with a regular academy mm -hmm. because the academy I was in was not a place where I could experiment like that. You were just mm -hmm. trying to beat up that one guy. No, 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 <laughs> you know, but also it wasn't like it wasn't a bad academy, no. but it was like a kind of like um an experiment in social darwinism. Like who survives? Wow, that's interesting. You know, you know, like, yeah. like who's gonna survive? Lord of, Lord of, Lord, the flies. Lord of the flies, right, right. You know, <laughs> and and it wasn't a bad academy, but it was an academy where you often felt safe. Oh, just kind of like experimenting. Oh, here, let me work my armbar defense. No, somebody's gonna wreck your arm. You know, mm -hmm. and um, and I, I respect the instructor. You know, I think that's he wants that kind of like hard nosed, hard room Adam tattoo, and he's a yeah. great guy. I won't say his name or anything. It just kind of sounds like I'm saying something bad about him. But it's just that culture of his academy. And his guys are tough as nails. But at the same time, I think, you know, it's very important to to always have a, a place where you can you can take chances and you know you're not gonna like have a broken neck when you when you do that, you know? It's okay to to put yourself in a triangle all the time and work your escapes you know mm -hmm. i actually don't give my fighters a chance so you know we have this fight team training on saturdays and usually like the first 25 minutes are like okay everybody go in the triangle for 20 minutes okay everybody go in the armbar for 20 minutes everybody drill the escapes you're not necessarily fighting but you're drilling it over and over and over again and then we fight the escapes too you know like we you know we we i i don't even give my guys a chance you know but everybody knows mm -hmm. to be and as i'm 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 monitoring the culture everybody knows to be very safe and not hurt each other because Okay, you're going to put me in a triangle. I'm going to put you in a triangle now. We're going to yeah, do it. Right? Yeah, so if you're a jerk <laughs> to me, I'm going to jerk. But also, our fight team is a bunch. Like, I, I vet who comes in the team very closely. So, you know, I never invite someone on the fight team who's going to be a, a problem attitude-wise. Like, they're wonderful guys. I, I My number one criteria, and people on the fight team, it sounds funny, but it's like, am I going to enjoy spending time with this guy? 
You know, am I gonna yeah, enjoy te- am I gonna enjoy teaching him? He's gonna be a nice totally. guy. And and then not not athletics, nothing like that. A lot of guys on our fight team are not really good athletes, but they're hard workers. Now that's the second one. Are they gonna work hard mm-hmm. and you know, give me their best. But um good attitude, work hard, that that's all that's all I require. But um attitude is first. So, you know, um um yeah, you have to have the proper proper academy culture. And um I, you know, last night was another fight. It was uh, Tisha Torres versus uh, Jessica Andrade. And there's a, there, I just read, I just read uh, on Facebook before we started the thing I was going to say online uh, in this podcast, sorry. And um, it's a, the Jessica Andrade is the f- female incarnation of old Vanderlei Silva. And she won last night. She won. But she was like, you know, like kind of like a Yoel Romero where it's like, I'm just in your face <laughs> with, you know, like, rah! And, um, Again, it was this flashback to, you know, 20 years ago. Like, oh, you know, she's amazing. She's she's amazing in her physicality. But her boxing, her striking technique is just, you know, it's just hook after hook. And, mm-hmm. and you know, people are going to pick her apart. And, and she, I don't think she's a person who in her academy says, okay, I'm going to put myself in these bad positions or I'm going to put myself in in this situation where I'm going to get hit more, I'm going to do this more, but I'm going to learn, I'm going to get better. Jessica Andrade, for every single fight I've seen her in, is Jessica Andrade. Nothing new. No change. She's like, I'm going to brawl and then pick you up and slam you on your head. Mm. I'm going to brawl. And then, but you see when she fights for a title, when she fights high-level people, they they um, they do very, very well against her. It's just, it's very well. So, you know, she's got to evolve. She's got to evolve too. So all these fights that we were talking about, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, what academy culture are they in? What... um what is their personal internal martial culture, you know, that martial orientation that, that is the ego or this or that, you know, uh, are they coachable? You know, that's, it's a two-sided coin, but, but that's what holds fighters back, you know, that holds them back if you're not in the right place or you're not in the right mindset. So anyway, that's my, that's my two cents on the it's fights. It's very interesting. I, I would never understand why somebody would not want to fill the, the gaps in their game. Um, we're talking about the the academy culture and a question I've never really asked you before and we've never really had the conversation um, what what was the cause of, of you opening your own academy like what was the how did that happen that's a great question um, yeah I think we talked about it very briefly on I want to hear more the, I, I want to know the podcast. in depth of radical so, MMA I started training in 1975 way way back when when I was young and it was because I was being bullied you know and um I went from martial art to martial art. I moved to Japan. And martial arts was always a really important part of my life, but I never once intended to open up an academy. I wanted to teach people a little bit here and there because mm-hmm. I enjoy teaching, I enjoy sharing martial arts, but I never felt that I would open up a commercial a commercial studio because, you know, it's it's uh, running a business is is different from what doing what you love. You know, uh um when you when you have to pay rent or you know i'll just say in the academy right now it's like okay i have to pay the, the pest control guy and i have to you know service the hvac and this and that it just stops being fun you mm-hmm. know and um i saw that with a lot of my martial arts instructors who who own their own academies that they love teaching but running their own academy was a grind you know and um and also um we were talking about this last podcast where they had to take away the reality of what they were teaching to adapt to the demands of the market. You know, we talked about the last week where people wanted to flash and high kicks. 
And so the guy's like, okay, this is what really works in a fight. But if I teach that, I'm going to go out of business. So I'm going to go over here and teach this stuff, yeah. even though this is not so effective. And it's something like I can that. put on YouTube and people right, are going to watch. Right, right. Well, this is way before. This is 1980s. This is way before YouTube. Oh, but, you boy. Know, you could put VHS, it on. like VHS days. Black Belt Magazine, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it was even before VHS. It was like Betamax. Oh, <laughs> Early what, 80s. What is you know? that? Yeah, you know, what or pre, pre, you know, right? whatever. 35 uh, millimeter. Eight, 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 yeah, eight, 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 eight millimeter. Super eight. Super eight, super eight, super eight. That's right, right. We were on the same. Oh, our minds are as one. Um but uh, you know, so I said I'm gonna I'm gonna walk the martial path, which has been very important to me. That martial lifestyle path of search for excellence in my technique. But I'm just gonna do it with my friends and any academies I can train. And I moved to Japan, lived there for a while, came back when I got hit by a car, started training again, went down to Brazil for a little bit. Uh, but mostly I trained in California. Um, uh, I would come go there uh, all the time because my sister lived in California. And I was able to mooch off our couch and, <laughs> and train. And thank you, Jacqueline. Um, so, uh, you know, I got a lot of training out there. And here in New York as well, uh, under the Marcos and Marcia Santos, uh, who are representatives of the Machado brothers. And, um, and, and, you know, I just wanted to fight. I just wanted to fight. But then I got a kind of a name for myself out of fighting in New York. And I, um, people started asking to do private lessons with me. And that became a few people. And then I started doing private lessons in one place. And one guy said, hey, what's that stuff you're doing? And uh, he, I said, oh, it's, you know, this is jujitsu, but it's more MMA oriented. You know, I'm kind of walking my own path. I want to do, I want to really stick to jujitsu that's MMA oriented. And he's like, oh, that's cool, you know. And then he started training with me and then it became a little class. And I, I felt that, you know, looking at the, the martial arts world, you know, um, the dojo that I wanted to train in wasn't there in New York. Mm. You know, the, the perfect place yeah. for me didn't exist. I had to go from here. So morning, this would be my fight schedule. 6 a.m., I'd be over here. And if I had to work that day, I'd work. But then, then like, lunch, I'd be there. Then I'd go back to work if I was working that day. And then 5 p.m., I'd be in another place. And then 7 p.m., I'd be in another place. And then 10 p.m., I'd be in another place or later. And so I'd be hitting five or six or seven different academies. Like, who wants to do that? You know, like, that's terrible. Yeah. And no one teacher had, you know, what I was looking for. And I wanted to open up an academy that from day one was MMA-oriented in every discipline. So you're not doing judo for sport judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu for sport Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You're doing MMA jiu-jitsu, MMA judo. Mm -hmm. And you can do all these arts in one place. And as MMA got more and more popular, and I started getting more and more students and uh, you know, things grew, and I said, you know what? I think I could do this on my own terms, and I and and um, I think I'm making business out of it. And you know what? I enjoy this a lot. You know, I was a translator. I was uh, uh, that was my job for me. Were you years. really? Yeah, I, I translated you know, that was, Japanese. That was my next question. What did Renee do before he? <laughs> I was a translator. I, I uh, are you familiar with the Kyoto Environmental Protocols? That was the Paris Treaty is the one now, but it's the one that, that set the emission standards. I actually yes. translated a whole bunch of that. Oh, that was wow. my job. Written translation. I did some verbal, but um, you know, um, speaking interpretation. J but Japanese. Yeah, Japanese yeah. and English. Right, right, and. Um, so that was my job, job, and um, and I enjoyed it. But uh, but you know, martial arts was always my love. Mm -hmm. I love martial arts. And then you know, I went to grad school. I was at Columbia doing grad school, and I was thinking maybe I'll be going to the academic world. And then that's when I was a lot of students. I started getting more and more students. I'm like, wow, I really love teaching martial arts, and every moment on the mat is just pure bliss, huh? 
why don't I try opening up my own academy? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's it's definitely the the side stuff, like the business stuff is kind of a drag sometimes, but I'm so blessed to yeah. have such a wonderful academy and wonderful students and I am the happiest clam alive. When know? did uh what's the date? Like four years ago, exactly four years exactly ago. this this month, four years ago. Wow. We opened four years ago. And you talked a little bit. We had bit a team before that, a couple guys, because I was teaching out of other places. Other gyms, like but Randy's really, place. we, yeah, we opened four years ago. What was the, you talked a little bit about how the, you were getting more and more people interested in doing private lessons and, and creating this little team. What pushed it over the edge? What made you say, let's let's go from this being a thing I do on the weekends or at nights, and this is, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to invest yeah. in myself. Well, yeah, I'd already quit my job. You already that, had. Now, because I was at grad school, right? So I okay, I, so I, uh, yeah, I quit my translation job, and I did full-time student, and then I was training. And, you know, um, at this one point, you had this discussion with the instructor. You know, the academic world can be a little political, too, you know. It's like, you know, I, was, I, I went in with that academic world, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to have... I, I, you know, I went in with rose-colored glasses. Like, it's going to be so pure and wonderful, and it's going to be about intellectual discourse and this and that. And it's really not, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with the martial art world. You go in with these, like, oh, everybody's going to be a Zen master and a, and a, and a that ninja. That would be me walking And then, you know, it's Yoda <laughs> walking around the mat, and he's going to give you these insights of tremendous inspiration. And, you know, it's not like that, right? <laughs> and, you know, so I was a little disenchanted with um, academia, but also, you know, I... I just I don't think I was cut out to be an academic like sit in a chair all day and research. It just wasn't me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be I enjoy research, but it's not what I want to do in my all my life. And then, you know, I, I would go to school and then I went night and I would train and teach. And I'm like, I would I found myself counting down the minutes till I would go to train mm-hmm. and then teach. And I'm like, this is so much better. You know, this That's is what I was meant cool. to do. And you know, and I also done it all my life. You mm-hmm. know, it was not a significant point in my life where I miss training. So from 75 till today, except for when I got hit by the car and lost use to my leg. I lost use to my leg for almost two years. You know, um, uh, I had a little accident in Japan. And it, it started with a little bit of a car accident, but also a lot of mistakes in what I did. And, and I had to have some surgery. And, um, you know, um, those the only two years that I was not training, or a year and a half. And the minute the minute I could walk, I went back into martial arts school. It's just it was just meant for me to do as part of my life. I, for me, martial art training is like breathing. I just have to do it. I just enjoy it. It's like mm. something I. You don't have to force me to train. You know, <laughs> I will train. I'll find a way to train. Now, unfortunately, I've met some instructors who are great guys and some instructors who are you know total jerks. And finding or instructor who's really great, but you just don't gel with. So, you know, it comes back to what was the academy culture that I wanted to set and that was true to me and, and, uh, and how would that, how would people, you know, deal with that? Because a lot of the academy culture out there um, is not what I agree with. Um, it's very loose and there's a lot of cursing and there's a lot of toxic masculinity and misogyny and, um, you know, things that this is not cool, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, one of the great things about MMA is that it's it's like let's throw the past out and evolve. And that's kind of cool because we're not stuck in the mud. You know, these old style stuff, everything's about evolution. But at the same time, a lot of these old values are really good values, good human values. It's not it transcends martial arts, being humble, being nice, having no ego, treating people with respect. Those are really good things. And a lot of martial arts schools that I've been to have not put an emphasis on that. 
And it's something in the Japanese tradition where you see a lot of, where like, hey, uh, we're going to really put this emphasis on this kind of behavior. And if you don't do this behavior, this is, you're not welcome here. Mm-hmm. And so I really drew on my Japanese tradition when I opened up the academy. So a lot of guys who come from the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world are a little bit like, hmm, this feels different. But people who come from the karate world or the judo world or something, look at my academy like, or lived in Japan, they're like, oh, I totally get this. This yeah. is... This is a Japanese martial arts school. Interesting, you know, and that's our culture. And you, you ask me, you know, uh, what are what are your some of your things you do, you know, when you you go in the academy, you bow and you say os, and os is Japanese for a good rough translation is I will persevere through hardship. You know, it's like be your best, persevere through the grind, push through, and uh, that's really important to me. You know, um, that you remind yourself there every single day you are going to push through. And, um, you know, I don't brook with, you know, kind of fooling around. I'm a little bit more strict. You know, people don't sit around after rolling against the, sitting against the wall talking about Black Panther or the Captain America movie or whatever. You know, like you're on the mat, you're training. Right. If you're off the mat, go upstairs because we have three floors. Go upstairs. You can have, have fun upstairs because we have different floors, you know. Go upstairs, have fun up there. But if you're on the mat, it's work time. And, um, you know, like treat it professionally. And uh, it's I don't believe in being mediocre. If you're going to do something, do it right. Exactly. You know, and mm-hmm. strive. Strive for your best and have an instructor who pushes you for your best. And when that comes to academy culture, if you're in a culture where the guy, the instructor doesn't give crap about you because you're not you're not competing under him or whatever, like you're not going to reach your your best. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, some people are more comfortable with that. They're like they like being mediocre. You know, they like being comfortable. Like, yeah, comfortable. Now, like if you you will change your martial arts says I'm going to change your life. I'm going to change your life. Well, how do you change your life? The hero's journey. That was that podcast we talked about. What's Another the hero's, great one? Right, right. What's the hero's journey? The hero's journey. Man, you cannot have that journey without pain. You cannot have that journey without suffering. Mm-hmm. Without that going through the fire, there is no journey. The dojo should be the fire. It should not be your recreational like place where you play a pickup game, basketball kind of thing. You know, like it should be the fire and. Um, then it, otherwise it's not really martial arts. It's martial s- sports or martial, it's more athletics, martial inspired athletics. It's mm-hmm. like, or, you know, like I say, kids Taekwondo and that's not picking on Taekwondo, kids karate too, kids Kung Fu, kids whatever. These kids martial art classes are not really martial art classes. They're Asian inspired daycare usually. <laughs> no, they're Asian inspired daycare. There's not martial arts. Oh, I love that. You know, now, now not all of them. I mean, obviously I've seen some martial art yeah. classes where it's legit, you know, especially kids judo, you know, it's generally pretty legit. Uh, and even, you know, like um, sports martial arts can still be martial arts because it's serious teaching a skill, mm-hmm. pushing the kids and, and teaching kids important values, you know, like sportsmanship and, you know, behavior and, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Well, I think you said on a previous podcast that, that some of the immigrants would come over to the United States and they've, they've been in the military in the, in like career. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they, they're like, well, I'm going to open a dojo. Right, right, right. Because it's what they know. Right. And it's also Easy. the easier, better job than, you know, oh, yeah. washing, washing clothes or, or serving people in a restaurant for, you know, for 17 hour shifts. Yeah. So they, you know? so they know more than about martial arts than I do, but should they be, Teaching? Should yeah, they be an instructor? Right, in right, right. And you know, children? That's right. And you know, unfortunately, um, a lot of guys out there, I would say 90% of people teaching martial arts today are in America, are in, 90%, I don't know. I, I'm really pulling that statistic out of my butt. So that, that <laughs> I shouldn't say that. But a lot. My personal anecdotal experience has meant 90% of the people I've met in the martial arts world should not be teaching. 
because of not just technique but personality issues like um, they're not appropriate to be around children or they're not appropriate to be around adults in certain ways or like you said, they're technically not experienced or they have no idea how to coach or teach. Like there's also a lot of guys who are amazing fighters but just terrible teachers. Mm -hmm. They don't study how to teach. Mm -hmm. Terrible teachers. And um, and uh, uh, so you know, how are you going to teach if you can't teach? Who's going to teach you how to teach? You know, you have to learn how to teach. You have yeah. to learn how to teach. And I, I, I worked with some of my students who are assisting me as teachers. Now I'm like, this is this is what I think is the best way to teach. You know, structure a curriculum. Uh, now, literally, you know, I, I'll tell this one this one guy. This one guy, you know, he's a champion. He's, he's jujitsu. Say his name. No, I will not. Oh my say gosh! I will not. I will not. John Smith. He's, no, not John Smith. John oh, Smith is amazing. He's a wrestler. That's actually know. a real guy. <laughs> no, um, but you know, he's an amazing jujitsu fighter. Uh, but what he does, he runs a class. He picks up his cell phone and is talking to women all day. Oh, come on. And he's like, "Oh yeah, that technique over there. So, yeah, we're doing great, doing great." He probably watches. Is that what his voice sounds like? Not I can really. Out I'm who a it terrible, is. terrible Brazilian mm. accent. Um, that is my attempt at a Brazilian accent. This is pretty oh, terrible. He's Brazilian. Um, yeah. No. Well, yes, for Jiu-Jitsu, right? Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that narrows it down to about 10 million people. <laughs> um, That's a big country. Yeah, right? yeah. Big Jiu-Jitsu population mm-hmm. now. But um, but you know he he would just be on the phone with yeah. the girls and or you know his mom his mom a lot you know to Brazil <laughs> and and or not paying attention and uh so the instruction you would get in the class would be out of an hour class you'd probably get three minutes of instruction. Sure. Out of those three minutes, his instruction was also terrible. And that stuff's not cheap. No, it was incredibly expensive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, academy culture is very important. Now, the origin of my academy's culture and that uh, is from the Japanese tradition because I can talk to my master in judo, uh, he, Professor Hirata Kanai. And also, I like to consider my great friend and took me under his wing in Japan. His name is Steve Blower, which I know he listens to the podcast. He's he's my really my master, in my heart. And uh, those guys can trace their lineage from instructor to instructor That's to instructor. Awesome. Back probably like if you really look at it, you could bring it back to the 16th century. Wow! And you have to see yourself as that link in the chain. Like it's not just me. I have to honor Professor Hirata. I have to honor. My professor, you know, Professor Hegan in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, who is, you know, very committed to the art, you know, um, and and Elio Gracie, who came before that, or Jigoro Kano in Judo, who came before that, and those guys, their teachers and their teachers, and these people who took, very often taught for no money, mm-hmm. but they were there for the honor of the art, and not, you know, to teach some bullcrap, and um, and to, to just make it, you know, cardio kickboxing or something. And so that is something very powerful for me. It's not just about creating MMA fighters, but creating an environment that respects that martial arts tradition. At the same time, cutting edge technique. Always, always, always evolving. And making a place where there's a hard room, but people who are not great athletes are welcome because we're a community academy. As long as you're giving 100%, we will push you, push you, push you. But you're as long as you're working, You'll, you'll get somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. It's a hard room, but everybody's welcome. And at the same time, it's also safe, as safe you can be in MMA, you know? And that that's what I try and drill with my culture. And people get on me because I, I'm very, I'm very, I'm a hard case. I'm an old school hard case, you know? And I don't like that personality of me. Like, I don't like being that guy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, naturally, because I'm, I'm more like, I'm actually more laid back, you know? But I know what my job is. So when I step on that mat, 
I'm like, I've got to be the teacher that taught me the best. Yeah. And so I amalgamate the best qualities. That, and every single one of the teachers, when they taught me hard, when they taught me right, they were teaching me hard. Oh, yeah. And 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 I grew, grew from it. So I I try to bring that into into my academy culture. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some people really appreciate that. And, and sometimes they it's not for them, you know, um, and that's that's totally respectful, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's, people have to find what instructor they they uh, they they meld the best with. I think yeah. my favorite teachers, and and I'm, I have no, I, I see this on pretty much every podcast. I have no martial arts experience, um, but my favorite teachers in college were the ones that were the hardest on me yeah. because I worked harder right. to, to get that attaboy. You know, right, right, right. When exactly. I when I got an A on a paper that was a you hard know, one, you I knew know it, you, you. I got know, an A. Yes, right, right. I deserved that A because I killed for it. I'm going to ask you something in your life. Now, let's put more shots aside. But the things you are absolutely most proud of in your life, did any of them come really easily? No, no, no. And uh, I remember it, it, one one instance when I was a, a younger. I, I really wanted an electric guitar. I was like 14. Like, mm-hmm. I want to start playing guitar. And uh, my mom said, well, I can buy you a guitar, but you're not going to appreciate it. You're not going to put the work into it. You're not going to... Yeah, you're just going to sit in the You're going to leave it outside. So she said, you can have one, but you have to buy it yourself. I was like, oh, man, I got to save up like $200 <laughs> to buy a guitar. And I did. And I put that thing, I rubbed, washed it, and I cleaned it, I played it every day. I don't play guitar anymore. But... Um, you shouldn't say that part of the story. Oh, this concert. <laughs> I'm a master. Be, yes, I'm exactly. a master guitar player You're up there with Andrew um, Zagovia. You know? Yeah, I'm the lead, <laughs> lead guitarist of Led Zeppelin now. Um, <laughs> but no, it, you do appreciate the things you work hardest for, and and you know, working hard in a in a, in a yeah. gym and, environment. And do you know? You know, obviously, the word kung fu. You, you know, what does kung fu mean to you? The word. I mean, what what is that? When I say kung fu, what does that tell you? It's like martial arts. Mar- right? Yeah, fighting. Yeah, what I'm yeah, fighting right. Yeah. The actual translation of kung fu, kung fu, right, is not martial arts. The, neither of the characters are martial arts. Neither. Mm-hmm. The first character is like it's kind of like the character. It's, it depends how you, but it's really skillfulness or and it means work hard. But it kind of means work hard, right? And then the next character is man, or could also be in Japanese tradition, it's husband. I don't, I don't exactly speak. I don't speak Chinese, but in the Japanese, it's husband. But it also means man, right? So man who works hard. So, man who works hard. There you go. That's a guy who does kung fu. It's a guy who works hard. And, you know, what this is, is you don't get any martial arts benefits. The way you think about the the enlightenment, the, the, the sense of personal safety, but even more that, the sense of, like, being at ease with yourself and losing your, you know, the bad or worst parts of your personality. You don't get any of that unless you're really putting the work in and you have someone pushing you, like you had that instructor who was the hard case, you're like, man, that guy, he cared about me. He pushed me, and I rose to the challenge. I rose to that 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 level, mm-hmm. and I, you know, maybe even that level that you didn't think you could do, but I rose to it, and I'm I'm better for it. And that is what which I try to do. And and even as a, as a fighter, you know, talking to people out there who are listening who want have goals as, as not just recreational martial arts, as a fighter, you have to walk in the academy every day and say, how can I maximize my learning today? How can I maximize my learning? Am I in a, in a martial art culture that ma- that where an instructor cares about me and he sets up an environment that is respectful to my learning process? And, um, and, and can I maximize my learning? And if that's not the case, that's not the place for you. Yeah. You know? Uh, does uh, Radical MMA have any Groupons? 
No, we do not agree to that. All right, forget it. <laughs> Never mind. Can't afford you. We're running out of time. But it was another great episode. A lot of information given out. Uh, appreciate your time coming in here and talking with me. Always a fun experience. Guys, don't forget that we still have the wager going on between uh, Renee and I for the uh, UFC 223. Rose yeah. versus uh, Joanna. All the posters are out now. It's yeah, I see them all over the place. Yeah. It's going to be in Brooklyn, right? Yep. Yep. And if you have tickets and you don't want them, give them to me. Renee doesn't want to go. No. <laughs> he prefers to sit in his underwear yeah. at home and watch it on TV. I don't sit in my underwear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, my, my, I'm very lucky. Uh, I have a wonderful wife we've been married to for eight years. And, um, you know, we sit home, we, we, we eat some nice food and relax. And, and also, like I did last night, uh, you know, I rewind aspects that, sure. that you can see so you can, you can learn and research from, you know. So it's, it's, I, I, I like watching them at home. Or sometimes I invite my students over. You know, just to chill with my students. And again, you know, uh, I enjoy being with my students. So uh, mm-hmm. that's that's um, one of the reasons why I love what I do is I get to hang out with my friends all day. That's so fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share, thumbs up, everything that we do on all of our social media. Um, we'll see you again next week. Yes. Have a great week, everybody. And uh, thanks, Renee. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore culture and on Instagram at Marshall Culture Cast. Please leave a review on iTunes and we'll see you next time on the Marshall Culture Podcast.